RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 2, Episode 12. Office Duties Memo to Gene Roddenberry from Richard Arnold, May 28, 1986. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, background fans, and yes, all you Trekophiles with an F. have a very uh, interesting document to present to you this week. Um, it's, it's a part of the Star Trek uh, phenomenon that, that gets over, uh, overlooked. And we have a special guest today, making first-time uh, visit with us, who um, is at the center of this document, and a few more conversations are going to be having in upcoming weeks. I can't wait to bring him on, but first, take a look at the document. Of course, it's right there on the uh, Facebook page at The Trek Files. And um, I'll be right back with him, and we'll dive into this great transition time in Star Trek history. To Gene Roddenberry from Richard Arnold, May 28th, 1986. Per your request, the following are examples of the kinds of things which Ms. Sackett and I have been handling in response to requests from both outside and Paramount. Please keep in mind that the volume of these requests is continuing to increase. Recent years have seen an entire new generation of Star Trek fans, as well as an increase in the variety and number of new products going on the market. All right, Trekophiles. You know, the years are going by, and we're enjoying diving into all these documents from Gene's archives and letters, and we don't always have the privilege of having those in the to or from line, from Gene on down, uh, with us. Today is an exception, and I'm really... <laughs> I've had a long, interesting uh, relationship with this guy, and I'm just so thrilled that we've got him here because this is one of his memos. In fact, maybe one of his first official ones uh, on the record. Um... Richard Arnold. It's so good to have you on the show, Richard. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> um, this is from 1986. Uh, for those that don't know your personal history, you were a fan. Your mother ran conventions in St. Louis, right? No, she, she worked um, on the committee okay. for uh, the conventions in um, St. Louis and Kansas City and various other places right. in the Midwest. Uh, never put on a convention by herself, no. Oh, okay. Well, she you grew up in fandom. Oh, gotcha. And Actually, I brought her into it. Oh, okay. Well, I want to get into that, but yeah. I just want to get to the saying. Yeah. You unofficially, as we'll talk about, the subject of this memo, unofficially did these tasks before one of the first great paradigm shifts for Star Trek, or another one in the process. 86 was such a huge transition year, and this was right in the thick of that. Um, became the first time ever was on payroll what became the Star Trek office. Yeah, that summer was the 20th anniversary of the original series, or at least the fall, September 8th. And Star Trek IV was released that summer. And the next generation, in its absolute infancy, um, a few months after this memo, in fact, uh, we none of us had any idea where it was going. We all knew that it was just getting crazy. Uh, and it was too much uh, for Susan and for me to handle it. And, and I had a full-time job, which yeah, let, I gave up. Let's back up. Now, yeah. you had – and tell me this because I'm fuzzy. For You've been doing this, these kinds of tasks. for That was the point of this memo. You've been yeah. doing this as a, as a feel-good volunteer, 
fan volunteer, but a trusted one. Yes. That Gene knew. But how did that relationship start? Where did you meet Gene? How did he? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, the very first ever Star Trek convention in New York, uh, January of 1972. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd been going to conventions already for several years, and I was not about to miss the very first ever Star Trek convention. So I flew in with from, B. Joe Trimble. From St. Louis? From St. Louis. And she came out to L.A. and we flew on together. And um, at the convention that weekend, I, I met Gene. I didn't know who he was at first, but I very quickly figured out that he wasn't Mr. Barrett, that he was Mr. Roddenberry. And, um, yeah, I met him on the Thursday night up at the, um, um, the suite for the committee where we were putting together packets. Remember mm-hmm. when conventions used yeah, to give you packets of goodies? Yeah, and um, Well, thanks to John Winston, we've got this per- yeah, convention yeah. in particular documented, the madness well, Al, and, the, Al and the overwhelm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway... Plan um, for 500, got 3,000. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and poor Al had to keep running back and printing more and more and more of everything. Uh, he had a print shop, fortunately. But, um, yeah, I met, met Gene on the Thursday night, and by the Sunday... Um, I really liked him. He seemed to like me, and he gave me his home address, and I started writing to him, and I've got my first ever letter back from him, which was also very beginning of 72. Uh, It's framed up on the wall. And, um, yeah, as I would come out to L.A. for conventions uh, later that year, 73, early 74, I would visit him either at Universal or at Warner Brothers or wherever he was at the time. And... um, I moved out to uh, Los Angeles from St. Louis in 1974 in the summer, in July. And it wasn't too long after that that, that he moved back onto the Paramount lot. So mm-hmm. starting, I, mean, I, I would visit, I would go and have lunch. Um, but I, I started to be there more and more and more by the summer of 76. And was over there so often that... Gene had a desk put into their printing room because they had three offices, his, Susan's, and mm-hmm. a printing room. Because and, back and then, just, a, And what building, just out of curiosity? This was in the E building. Okay. Uh, the Wilder the, building. Now the now. Wilder. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the, the old flat Desilu buildings along the Yeah, yeah. Wall, it's it's the on the um, west side of the lot. Right. Just down from the four sound stages, which are now 2930, 31, 32. Right. Um, and, and sort of down from Entertainment Tonight. Um, and... There I was in this room with a printer that was so loud you couldn't hear yourself think when it was printing. It was, you know, the sheets of paper coming up out Offset. of the box. Yeah, Offset, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, oh, my God, Gene wrote so much, um, you know, letters, uh, proposals, whatever. And, and suddenly it would start up and it would be like, oh, my God. It was, just, it was deafening. But not only was I um, helping them with fan mail and, and whatever informational requests were coming in, I was running Grace Lee Whitney's fan club out of that office. <laughs> and you know, because I didn't have a, a decent typewriter at home, they had an IBM Selectric, Ooh, okay. which was so great. So, yeah. So anyway, I continued to do that for the next 10 years. And it just it went from a little and coming in maybe one day a week to where I was having to come in – Every spare minute that I had, and especially once the development of Star Trek Phase Two mm-hmm. began, 
Um, and I, I, I was going to say, seventy six when you when this started was yeah. uh, was in the yeah. uh, the later became known as Planet of the Titans that era and Eisenberg and all of them. Right, right, right. And then, and as we know, that whole crazy progression of uh, this is out, this is out, pitch, 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 yeah. throwback, fail. Oh, I have I have memos that far back. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, phase two. But I mean, I the TV series. I didn't have my name on the door yet, but I mean, eventually, I had my own phone line. I had my name on the door. I had an overhead number to um, get paper and, and so on. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't have a salary. I was going to say, yeah, that everything was but fine. Yeah, yeah, that was fine with me. I, I, you know, was perfectly happy. Because you um, had a day job. Night job. A night job. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, could, I could go to work at night, work through the night, go home, get a few hours sleep, and then if I had to, I would go over. And I can remember more than once being fast asleep, phone would ring, Gene would be in a meeting, they'd call me over, we need you. So I'd go over and and I would literally fall asleep on the conference table, and they would wake me up to ask me a question. Then I'd go back to sleep again. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a rough time seventy seven seventy six seventy seven early seventy eight. Right. That was kind of a rough time there. But I eventually uh, was working um, days. I had to. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I made sure that I worked on the weekends and had at least two whole days that I could give them. But if I worked seven to three, I could be there for at least a couple hours at the end of the day. Uh, or if I worked three to uh, 11, I could be there the whole morning. So I, I tried to work it my much as I could be. And I had a boss who was extremely tolerant and would give me extra time off. You know, if, if they really needed me to work on something, I would just take a day off. Was your boss a Trek fan or was he just being nice? He was just being nice. Okay. Unfortunately, no. I mean, no. I know it's the late 70s and Trek fandom was yeah. always growing, but there were, you know, it was possible. But this whole time you're doing all this, uh, it, it's great. It's great networking and contacting, and you know you're having an impact on the franchise, but. Well, no, I didn't know I was having an impact well, on I, anything. But, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, yeah. you said if I can do this for you, then you will have. You're trusting oh, yeah, me no, to give I, you information, so I know I'm having. I was helping Gene you're a keep force everything for good. true to his vision. You're a force for good. Yeah. 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 But obviously, and especially as the years went by, the value of what you were providing was, was undervalued. <laughs> I mean, monetarily. By the studio. It was so, yes. Yeah. It was so valuable that they're going to. They're, Putting your name on the door and giving you a parking spot and giving yeah. you an office. Yeah. It's obviously valuable to somebody to have all that going on. So, and Yeah, at one point somebody said that I, mean, that I was the only person they knew that wasn't actually on the payroll that actually had a parking lot, right. a parking space on the lot because and, it was so hard to get one. And a phone number. What was your... Yeah. What was your, what was your oh, uh, 5850. See? Yeah. <laughs> of course. So we've arrived, we've gone through the 70s, so we've gone through the whole point of phase two, turning into the motion picture, turning into Gene wondering what his future, when he's basically demoted and finding his new role, and Harv Bennett coming on the scene, and Nick Meyer, and Leonard directing, and that whole evolution through the 80s, and and him finding his comfort zone, and what, what his role would be, and Gene on the college circuit, Gene, the... Oh, yeah. Gene the guru. <laughs> the great bird. The great bird. Yep. Um, all of that happening, and you're there watching it. So we come down to 1986, and things are about to – it's been getting bigger. Like you say, all of these things you've been doing on the side are exploding, and that feeling in 86 is, is about to explode even more. So what, what yeah. actually led up to yeah. this memo we're looking at today? 
I was having to make a decision to keep my real job um, and mm-hmm. and just not be available as much as he wanted me to be, or <clears throat> quit the real job and and try to make figure out a way to make it uh, work for me at Paramount, getting paid, which he was totally for, um, and and this was his pitch, if you will, right to the front office. There was no production office for Next Generation, so it was just trying to get the four divisions of the studio with which I was already working to right. pay me somehow. So this is May 86. So right. Star Trek Four is coming out around Thanksgiving, but it's been basically shot and people are excited about it. I thought it was in the summer, no? It was it was a it was a was fall. It? Yeah. Was it fall? It was okay. a fall. In fact, they bumped it up a week. I remember everybody being excited. But it was in the can and people were thrilled with it. And that was fueling oh, yeah. and, and it was the first anniversary to be celebrated by the studio, like waking up to the value of that and planning the twentieth anniversary and some of those ancillary events. And then the talk about what led to Next Generation through we're doing a series again. The Greg Strangest group that we've talked about on here already, and then Gene saying, "Hell no, I'm going to do it," and right. and all that, and right. that was all, all just on the cusp of happening and starting right. to bubble up. And the fact that you've got this, these eleven basic areas, which I'm sure don't do the time justice, but it looks like it's a pretty easy case. It's almost like, oh, why the hell haven't we been paying him here? Um, well, one of the executives in the front office had the attitude, um, we've been getting the milk for free for years. Why should we buy the cow? They mm-hmm. they fought mm-hmm. paying me. They they couldn't see the justification. Um, what What's not here, what you'll not find anywhere in writing, is that one day I came in and Gene told me to pack up my desk um, and move off the lot. And I thought, what the hell did I do? I was crying. You know, what yeah. did I do? You know, Susan wasn't saying anything. I'm like, oh, my God. And I packed everything up, and I moved it. I was living across from the studio, so it wasn't that difficult. <laughs> um, and a couple of days later, Gene called him and said, okay, you can come back now. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> and basically, every phone call that they got in the office, he would say, well, he doesn't work here. Well, yeah, but he always, you know, you won't start paying him. And it really only took that long, about two days. He pulled a tough love or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, It scared the hell out of me. But, yeah, that, that's what it was about. I found out later that because it didn't work immediately, that he threatened to move off the lot himself if they didn't hire me. And I didn't know that until years later. So, yeah, well, hey, I mean, Gene. Well, part of, part of what's going on now is, you know, Franchises are a dime a dozen, and there's all kinds of infrastructure and license. In '86, licensing wasn't what it was. No. Heaven forbid something like social media didn't exist. It just the fan correspondence, the fan um, relations, you know, uh, audience relations, what you might want to call it. People, you know, it was still very analog. People, you know, the boxes. Um, I mean, the concept in a box, it, it, this whole merging of all this extraneous, it was just, we make movies here, we make TV shows, make the movie, TV show, promote it, get it out there, yeah. you know, what else is there? Again, it's one of the ways that Star Trek, and yes, Star Wars had been around for 10 years, Doctor Who had been around for 30, 10 years in the States, but really, there was nothing like Star Trek pioneering some of these paradigms. I mean, it was it was... 
it was uh, really cutting edge for what this whole new brave new world of franchise media content audience connectedness community was going to look like and you had to the people that didn't get it yet <laughs> because it was so new that's i mean this is a perfect example of um of doing that and it, it, does any any one of these really strike out here as uh, 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 stick out you're talking about dealing with you know from fans but also like licensing and requests from the studio just just reflecting what star trek was growing into i, I think the thing that i was proudest of um the studio had never bothered to keep an archive of artwork. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have any art. And there had been, when it was you know NBC and Desilu, um, set photographers, Herb Ball, um, Fred, uh, would be on the set um, every episode shooting beautiful 4x5s and 2 and a quarters. And that color. stuff color. frequently um, you know, was sent out to the stations. Yeah, color, black and white. Um, but they they never bothered to keep when, when Desilu was purchased by Gulf and Western, which also purchased Paramount. Um, the Desilu stuff just got tossed. Mm-hmm. So and NBC didn't keep anything after '69. So yeah, they had almost nothing, and for years they kept using the same terrible images. Um, and I started once I you know was being paid to do so. Building up for each of the four divisions a collection of images. And and everybody had exactly the same. And you say divisions, publicity, syndication. Um, TV advertising and promotion, merchandising and licensing, you know, the the, the feature division, television. So everybody got their, you know, their set, their binders. They all got binders full of stuff. (laughs) And... What was amazing to me was, especially with merchandising and licensing, somebody would say, we need this, and they would say, okay, and send it out, and never get it back, and never bother. They just didn't care, and there was all these holes, and I'm looking through, where the hell's all the art? You know, yeah. but yeah. Anyway, it was, it was something I worked very hard on to maintain, you know, for the next five years, you know, everybody's collection, because it was so important. And just to move it along a little bit, Gene, during the production of The Next Generation, um, I would get every single shot they took, Robbie Robinson and the other mm-hmm. photographers, I would get copies and I had binders up on shelves in my office, which you may remember, you know, uh-huh. thousands and thousands of, of slides because that's what, what he did was take slides. And in the first season, there were a couple of episodes that they didn't even bother to have a photographer. And and I kept saying, you've got to have at least one day a week. And, and you know, they should be going through the script and saying, oh. Home soil yeah, is one we, of them. We definitely need to get images from this episode. We definitely need from this scene, this right. guest star, whatever. And it just wasn't happening. And and Gene blew a gasket and, and demanded that they had to have at least two days per episode mm-hmm. a photographer. And, and that suddenly became another responsibility for me was to go through the script and say, okay, this scene, this actor, this character, right. whatever. Right. We, need, we need to do that, uh, which meant, you know, suddenly far more artwork. But they then were good about it and did it, you know, not only with Next Gen, but then DS9 and Voyager. And I'm sure they did the same yeah. on Enterprise. I was never pulling art from Enterprise. But you, but, you know, like the things like George's. Yeah. And, and, well, anyway, the, the, great, the, tours, thing about the, yeah. the yeah. great thing about this list, and everybody, again, everybody can see this here on our documents page on, at our Facebook page at the Trek Files. It's it's another example here of how Star Trek was was cutting edge and what it was representing for not just the future of 
humanity, but the future of what entertainment was going to well, be. Well, it was like, unique because no other, uh, there was no aftermarket, if you will, for you know shows like Happy Days and so on. Right, Once it was right. over, that was it. There were no calendars. There was no you know trading card sets or whatever. Um, Star Trek was unique in that sense that uh, at one point, I think I told you this. If you went into the merchandising and licensing mm-hmm. file room, mm-hmm. one wall was filing cabinets filled with Star Trek licensing, and the other side was 75 years of Paramount. <laughs> it was everything else. Everything yeah. else yeah. from the silent era yeah. on. Yeah, TV and film. Yeah, yeah. Well, Richard, this has been great. I love this memo because it sheds light on remembering how much things have changed and also what a pivotal year 86 was and just... just uh, <laughs> How Star Trek pioneered this because of the demand and the passion from the the audience is driving this, and the, obviously the 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 show and and the gene thing is driving it, and um, a pivotal point for all of that and and for you too. We have to have you back on. I hope you will join absolutely, us absolutely, down the line. and and right. very importantly, this was all pre-internet. <laughs> this was yes. you know you typed a response to a letter, you answered a phone. In the paper then. and stamps yeah. era. Yeah. When we have you back, Thank you. <laughs> we will uh, we will stay in that paper and stamps era just a little bit longer. All right. Anyway, thanks so much, Richard. You're welcome. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek, that's me, and Portal 47 at LarryNimichek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.